The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the Bears aren't hibernating this winter, and they are coming for tech, the NASDAQ. S&P 500 tech sector entering a bear market, uh, down 20% from the highs as the market continues to lose the old leaders. The top technician tells us which names, if any, will take the reins. Plus, check out shares of Nike. That stock's soaring after hours, up nearly 7% after its earnings report. The conference call is kicking off right now. We'll bring you all the latest headlines. But first, we start off with the market sell-off. The Dow was down nearly 700 points at the lows of the session, driven by fears of a looming government shutdown. For more on that, let's get to Elon Moy in Washington, D.C. Elon. Melissa, this has been a really fast-moving story, so let me just break down where we're at right now. The House is preparing to take a key procedural vote on that short-term spending bill that would fund the government through February 8th. Now, that bill would include roughly $5 billion in funding for the border wall, as well as about $8 billion in funding for disaster relief. Now, remember, this whole exercise is being driven by a demand for conservatives to take a vote on the border wall, something that is so important to their base. And earlier this afternoon at the White House, President Trump made it clear that he has their back. I am asking Congress to defend the border of our nation for a tiny fraction, tiny fraction of the cost. Essential to border security is a powerful physical barrier. Walls work, whether we like it or not. Now, it is unclear if Republicans actually have the votes to pass this, but whichever way this goes in the House, the risk of a shutdown is growing. If Republicans pass the measure to add money for the border wall to the spending bill, it's dead on arrival in the Senate. Therefore, we're more likely to head to a government shutdown. If the bill pass, uh, fails in the House, that means that Republicans are back to square one, unclear if they would be able to pass a clean uh, spending bill, something that has no strings attached, and even if they did, unclear if President Trump would sign it. So, guys, we are counting down to the final hours before the Friday at midnight deadline to fund the government. It's going to be a long night here on Capitol Hill. <clears throat> so, Elon, it, it was sort of like a choose-your-own-adventure, you know, two-pronged scenario, but it sounded like under both scenarios, it looked likely that we would have a government shutdown come tomorrow. Yeah, the odds have risen dramatically here. Um, and in the House right now, one of the big questions is how many lawmakers are actually going to show up to vote. Um, we're anticipating about 400 lawmakers voting in the House. That would mean that they would have to hit about 195 Republicans supporting this measure uh, to fund 
the border wall as well as fund that stopgap spending measure. Right now, they're whipping those votes, they're making those deals, and we'll see what happens in the next couple hours. All right, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy, uh, the very latest, and it's been a very fast-moving story today. It has really been the nightmare before Christmas for the markets and for investors. The looming shutdown, just the latest factor weighing on stocks, along with the Federal uh, Reserve's path to neutral and the escalating tensions with China. The S&P spiraling toward bear market territory, now down more than 16% from the September high. So with the markets in a state of turmoil, is there any end to the selling in sight? What do you do now? And is it a nightmare? Is it? It, uh, that graphic scared me. I was going to run away. That was a nightmare in of itself. I mean, that music is haunting, right? <laughs> no, it's interesting. Tuesday night, Tim said that uh, I thought we'd have a dovish Fed. The market would rally. He said the, a dovish Fed is priced in. So he's right, given the, the last couple days, the move to the downside. What now? We talked about last night, the need for the VIX to print 30. Guess what? <coughs> VIX printed 30 today, backed off a little late. I think that's encouraging. You had a big volume day today. I actually think it sets up for, given what Tim will talk about, the oversold condition in RSIs, a market that could actually rally somewhat significantly over the next couple of sessions, Mel. Well, yes. So if you look at the S&P at one point intraday, uh, and again, peak to trough yesterday to today's lows, almost 6%. An extraordinary move. But an RSI that's not built over two, two days, it's actually something that's been building to you know this from October. But 18, we haven't been there since essentially March of 2015. So really oversold. I, I tend to think that uh, this government shutdown is, is a non-event in a different marketplace. Let's be clear. I, I think. We've been there before. So as much as, as D.C. dysfunction is something that's another ingredient for stocks. Um, this is all about slower growth. It's all about credit. The worst chart you can look at right now is that of the high-yield bond market, which has gone straight down over the last two days. Um, and, and then, frankly, the yield curve, which is something that you got down to 275 on rates. If you don't hold these levels on the 10-year, I actually think you could be testing 230 before you test 3% again. I would posit it's not just the shutdown in and of itself. It really underscores the dysfunction in Washington, even in a Congress that is held by the Republicans. So imagine next year year when the Congress is not held by the same party, True. the dysfunction could session, be even, still even I think that's really important for this week in general. When you see about it on foreign policy, we've seen Republican senators break with the president, people like Lindsey Graham about the pullout of Syria. What did we see Fed Chairman Powell do? Now, obviously, they are an independent body, okay, but he basically refused to be kind of put into the box that the president tried to do. So we're seeing a lot of unforced errors out of the White House. That, that's very clear um, about this week. And I think Mel's point is that... Um, you know, next year, it only gets worse in that regard, because what did Elon Mui just say? That even if the House votes on that CR tonight, it's dead on arrival in the Senate, because a Senate the that the Republicans funding. hold. Yeah, I, I, Guy brings up the fact that we had this huge move in volatility, and we did. We got that move to 30-30, which was a huge move in the volatility index. We've also had some massive volume. I mean, yesterday we traded over 27 million option contracts. Volume has been there for the last couple of days, and it's been surging in towards the end of the year. So do I think the volatility is over with? I think the surge to 30 is a great sign of something, potentially. But if not, I still think we're going to see volatility for quite a long time, Mel, because the fact is, how long do we think what I think is the most important thing on the table right now continues to be the trade war? How long is that going to last? I think it lasts a quarter so are you, or I more. Mean, it sounds to me like you're telling me Val's going higher. Are you, I don't know are you running for higher. cover at this point? I, I, I'm, I'm not I mean, saying it's necessarily going higher. I think volatility is here to stay. I said the other night when it was trading 21, it's too low. 
26, I still think too low. 28. 30, 28, probably pretty accurate to where we are trading right now. Because I'm talking about these intraday moves. I'm not talking just high to low. I'm talking the intraday. And what we're seeing right now is a phenomenon we hadn't seen in a while. It's always been one direction. That's the direction. This rally and then this sell-off has all been up and down and up and down. These moves are amazing at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, the whipsaw action intraday, I mean... We mentioned at the top that we were down as many as 700 points on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and then we managed the end of the day, you know, much higher from there. Can we take any solace in that? Can we take any solace that the banks, on a relative basis, were trading better versus the broader? You're just shaking your head. It doesn't matter what comes out. Look at him. I'm shaking my head. It doesn't matter what comes out of my mouth. Well, I don't care about relative strength right now on on groups like the banks or some industrials or transport. There is no leadership. There is no leadership, so I don't care. We were at 2940 in late September, and now we're below, you know, 20, 2600 or something like that. There's no leadership, and I, I just, just like I thought in September that MAGA was the key, Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon. So catchy. Okay, it's it is really catchy. It is catchy. It's also going to be, <laughs> the, it's also going to be the thing that that really causes this market to bottom. That's it. That's the only thing that can do it, in my opinion. Well, we've, we, we've gotten to a place here where people don't really care about mul- equity multiples or valuations at this point, and, and I, I think that's. Uh, a dynamic that investors really need to try to look through because valuations do matter. And, and we're getting to a place here, um, you know, forget FedEx, which I was wrong 25 bucks ago and saying it was a trough multiple. But again, this is a company that's being treated as if uh, they're not still operating near record profits. And, and, you know, that is something that people need to think about. Can I ask, can I ask raise your hand an obvious question? Ask, I'm you, going you, to, I call you, on myself to ask the next question. Ask if we don't so have polite. a good grip on what 2019 earnings are going to be, how do we determine what the multiple should be for next year? I mean, if we are at a point now where we're waiting for Q4 earnings, we're waiting for Q4 guidance to come out in January or somewhere thereabouts. We don't know yet. So how do we know that these multiples are fair or is it just because they're relative to historically? Well, we multiple for the S&P. environment. Yeah, I, look, I, I think S&P is not going to see 7% earnings growth, even with 2% of that being buybacks or in other words, 40% of it roughly. Um, 30% of it. But, you know, I, I still think uh, the downgrades on some level have been priced into a number of stocks. But but I, I do think valuations can be at least read within the context of where these companies are. I think the S&P, in an environment where the Fed is pulling back, the S&P multiple has, has, has compressed dramatically and, and probably gets some benefit from the Fed. I think the market struggles with that same question on the way up as well. I mean, we talk sure. about it on the way down because it just feels different. I think in terms of 2019, listen, I still remain, I'm with Pete. I don't think this China situation is going to be rectified anytime soon. The worse our market go- looks and the worse lower it goes, the more I think it emboldens the Chinese, my opinion. With that said, everybody now seems to be on the same side of the market as uh, collapsing boat and i think tomorrow's a day that could fake out a lot of people i think you could retest that 25 30 level that we talked about forever that's like a little bit more than a two percent move to the upside and i don't think that's out of the question tomorrow at all all right our next guest says the dc drama will lead to even more pain for stocks let's bring in former u.s senior treasury official kim wallace now he is the managing director with the eurasia group kim great to see you Hi, Melissa. We were talking about a government shutdown and and the fact that in any other sort of market, this event in and of itself may not be a market mover. So what exactly do you think has investors looking twice at this event this time around? Everything you all have been talking about. Markets matter, or Washington matters most to markets if uh, there's a suffer in fundamentals or sentiment. We're going through both right now, and Washington is not showing up to restore confidence. 
that's why there's a focus on this. You're right. From an economic and financial standpoint, if there is a shutdown, and even if it lasts for two weeks, that won't matter to anybody except for the workers who don't get paychecks during that period. Yeah. This is a confidence game, and right now we're losing the confidence game. So in terms of, of extrapolating what this D.C. dysfunction may be, what is the first thing that investors connect the dots to? This dysfunction in Washington may mean this doesn't get passed or, or this other thing doesn't happen. This, what do you think? This means that as we go into the first half of next year, particularly the first quarter, and you have tests of a divided government on how it wants to deal with <laughs> fiscal policy, both debt ceiling, uh, funding for 2020, all of those issues will have a sharper edge to them going into the debate, and then markets will be more keen to watch how it's conducted because of the lack of confidence from this episode. Hey, Kim, it, it's Tim Seymour. Um, do you think anything is going to change in terms of either monetary policy? We've heard it, you know, a lot from the Fed over the last couple of days. Um, but from the perch that you used to sit in, either whether the dollar is in a position that it could continue to possibly weaken, this is another thing we've been talking about on the show because a lot of people had bet in favor of a stronger dollar. With fiscal doing what it's doing, with the economy doing what it's doing, do you have a view there? My view is that uh, Powell was pretty clear yesterday, and the statement was clear from the uh, committee. They're going to normalize both in terms of the portfolio and in terms of rates as long as they can. And right now they're a lot less concerned about, frankly, the markets or for that matter elected politicians. They're much more focused on the fundamentals, which they find to be acceptable in the near term. And they're really focused on trade, the issue with China that you all have been talking about. And specifically on that issue, Kim, we, we learned today uh, that the U.S. is bringing charges against two Chinese nationals when it comes to cyber espionage, um, corporate cyber, cyber espionage. How does this influence the trade talks? Well, it has to have an effect because, again, it's all about building trust when you sit down to a negotiation. And there's very little trust between Washington and Beijing right now. So as we go through every one of these episodes, whether it's Huawei or the recent espionage charges, that will give... Uh, bureaucrats on both sides reasons to pull away from the table, whether they're real or trumped up, uh, no pun intended there. Uh, <laughs> people will have a hard time sizing the market for a healthy negotiation. That adds time to the back end. So that's interesting because initially when I thought about the CFO being arrested and, and this event also, you think maybe it gives the U.S. more leverage in some respect to demand more things out of China, but you're actually saying this prolongs the trade negotiations and makes it less likely that a faster resolution will happen. I think that's right, largely because you have two sides, I believe, overplaying their hand. Uh, China believes that uh, Washington is coming after its economic base and can wait out this administration. I think that's a bit of a miscalculation. Uh, they also believe that the U.S. economy is going to continue to weaken and that will affect the president. Uh, on the U.S. side, they, they look at the financial charts and they look at the economic data coming out and they believe they have the upper hand, which I believe is an overcalculation on the U.S. side. So right now you don't have, in my view at least, you don't have an environment for a healthy yeah. negotiation, much less successful negotiation. Which doesn't bode well for the markets. Kim, great to speak with you. Thank you so much for your time. Have a good holiday, all. You too. Kim Wallace of the Eurasia Group. Not a good sign for the markets. No, but I, and I understand. I'm sort of in Tim's camp. I think Pete and, and Dan probably agree as well. I don't think the government shutdown is all that. I mean, it's important in the context of what's going on. I get it. But I don't think it's all that market moving. I understand why we lead with a story like that. But there are other factors at work. I do think, though, that now everybody is universally bearish. And it's probably going to be correct over the next month or so. I don't think it's going to be correct over the next 
three or four training sessions. Well, I thought, I, I, who yeah. cares about the next three? I mean, we're well, that's what we do know, on this show. I know, but we're going into Christmas week, and you know, I, 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 like, <laughs> and so, how many days? I just, I just think literally, the market's going to be trading <laughs> on fumes for the next which, week and a half. I think the next three or four sessions. I understand what you're saying, but I think they're very important because I think the sentiment turn here is the kind of thing that we've been seeing. I think the retail community. I mean, the amount of people that, that I saw were freaking out, but, but it has. It just, I mean, it, it, it no, it can't, turn. especially when there's no liquidity in the market. I think you can have an exaggerated effect when people are actually running for the door, when they go off to, you know, get their, their fruit the cakes and their, whatever, their, their Christmas cooking. You mean you know, the Christmas nightmare? Yeah, well, look, I, I just think there's a couple things going on here. I think sentiment to me um, in the RIA community and in the retail community is starting to become unglued. Um, and that is something that in a low-vol environment, especially with these headlines, I think is worth watching. I mean, if you're trading right now, you're home alone. Oh, style, look at you. <laughs> you know, Mr. Wallace is talking about downside risk, and obviously we all think about that, but I think there's a lot of short-term moves within that. So to answer Guy's question about the next three or four days, I think we could see some ups and some downs. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, we're seeing some bullish activity here and there. We're also seeing a lot of bearish activity. Everything is very short in duration in terms of what people are expecting. And it's been like that, Mel, for about a month or more, where all the trades that I'm seeing, whether it's in big ETFs, the spiders, you name any one of those big ETFs, I'm seeing stuff that's, that's happening very rapidly. And we're seeing these moves, and they're playing out pretty well for the most part. But we're seeing a lot of that. Just last night, Mike Cole was talking about the protection on the downside yeah. that he was seeing seeing in the triple Qs. We see stuff like that every single okay. day, but it's all very uh, short. All and the higher we go this week into the new year is the lower we go into, you know, January. But there's trade in between, right? Like that. You're without a Santa Claus. Dan's a diehard. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. Miser, it's obvious. Uh, I'm not, see what I did there? Yeah. Nakatomi Plaza. Coming up. Talk about bad energy, crude crashing 4%, and it's taking the energy sector down with it. Every stock in that sector now sitting in a bear market. Is this group a no-touch? And speaking of bear markets, the Nasdaq officially entering one today, down 20% from the high. So has the market lost the leaders for good? A top technician will weigh in. And later, check out shares of Nike. Jumping after hours, the conference call is happening right now. We'll bring you all the headlines. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crude getting crushed, plunging 4%. The commodity on track for its worst year since 2014 and dragging down energy stocks in the process. The sector hitting its lowest level in almost three years, sending every single stock in the sector deep into a bear market. So how low can oil go? Is the sector a no-touch? been for a while at least, Tim. Well, I tell you, you know, break of 50 on WTI signals possibly a move to 42. And, and the dynamics here are not just supply. I mean, this is this is clearly, you know, look at the manufacturing service we had. We had a Philly Fed. We had a, today, which was weak. We had a New York Fed. I mean, you're getting more anecdotal evidence on the economy and on the demand side. I still think that the big integrated names, especially with their balance sheets and the free cash flow yields that are Frankly, as good as you've seen in these companies, I realize that may have been at $80 oil. We'll see how they do it at, at, at 56, uh, at least on Brent. But um, 
What's interesting, you talked, you showed up that sign for Valero and the move and some of the refiners. Refiners were very, very defensive in a low oil price environment because of the crude stock, and I think it's something that's interesting to look at. And we play a lot of games on the show. So we played, <laughs> uh, we play, uh, tr- traded, traded or, faded. or faded a few weeks ago, and one of the the traded or faded names was Exxon Mobil, and I, I was like, are you I had bra- that. are you cre- are you starting to play a game no, by no, yourself? No, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm recreating what we talked about. And I had the little red thing go on. That was a fade thing. And we talked about the potential for it to trade back down to $70. I like this trip down memory lane. I like going. It's a nice. You know, anyway, Dan, it Dan's so way aggravated. You know what, you know but here I, we I are now. ExxonMobil today. Here we are now at 68 and a half. Yeah. To Tim's point, cash flow. It's a great balance sheet. Valuation is probably the cheapest it's been in a long time. So if you don't think the world is ending tomorrow, I think ExxonMobil here at 68 and a half is really interesting. But you've got to have patience, right? Patience. I, I own Exxon. I own Chevron. Both It's painful. But you've got to, I think that you have to have some patience in this market. I agree with Tim. $50, I actually thought that was going to be sort of a base. It wasn't. We plunged right through there. 42 is probably next. Mm-hmm. I'd say for now, if you're not in there already, why not be very, very patient and not jump in until we start to see some kind of turn in oil, which we've not seen. It's been down, down, down. It's been, what, three weeks, a month straight that it's been down. And why are what we going to try to catch that, what, that? What are you waiting for? OPEC just blew up. We got all this shale stuff coming here. It looks like China and Asia demand in general has fallen off a cliff. And I go back to thinking about the last time that oil got cut in half in 15 and 16. We had rates going lower. We had the dollar going higher. We had global growth scares. We had issues with China. I get a sense that we're in a very similar sort of period. Now, we did come so out of oil, going, but, but we're not. Okay. But we're not. Okay. I mean, we're not. Let's I, be I clear. I, as much as I've talked about downward, you know, or headwinds on global economic, etc. I mean, we're in an environment where the global GDP is still around three, three and a half percent. Oil demand is still incrementally growing every year. So, I mean, part of this, I I think, is just positioning. That's a great look. That's the best look ever. You know what, Dan? We should have done the sport box so we could have seen it. And he can make all the looks he wants. I I can see it because I'm looking. (laughs) You know what, Dan has a chart up. He has an Exxon Mobil chart up. And he's he's looking at a potential double bottom going back to 2000. What do we got, Dan? And he knows that I'm right, so just admit it, Dan. Let's take it outside. I, listen, I, I think it's fantastic that you want to buy all these names on valuation as it seems like we just spent some time in the last no, block talking no. about oh, you said how patience. Entire- I said patience. Okay. The, the, the point is to not necessarily be caught in, in the momentum uh, winds that blow at, at all times because there's a lot of people out there that are looking to find good companies at a good price, have built their list, and some of these big integrated names are actually quite healthy. So all right. there you go. Boom. What was the split screen on we that? We had one. Yeah. Trust yeah, me. It was we a little had. late. It was there Check for out shares. There you go. There you have it again. Check out shares of Nike jumping after hours. That conference call is going on right now. We'll bring you the It's another dismissive look from Dan. <laughs> deal. I'll bring you all the latest headlines from that call. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Yep. Santa Claus is coming to town. At least for crypto traders, as Bitcoin soars this week. The president of Coinbase will be here to tell us what it all means. Plus, Pete Najarian is getting in the Christmas spirit too. And he will step up to the plate to pitch the one stock that could be a gift for your portfolio. There's much more Fast Money right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Breaking news out of D.C. Trump tweeting moments ago that General James Mattis will be retiring. Elon Moyes got the details. Elon. Melissa, we are just learning this news as well. Here is the full tweet that President Trump wrote. He said that he will be retiring at the end of February after having served my administration as Secretary of Defense for the past two years. He said that during Jim's tenure, tremendous progress has been made, especially with respect to the purchase of new fighting equipment. He said that General Mattis was a great help in getting allies in other countries to pay their share of military obligations. He said that he will name a new Secretary of Defense shortly, just adding to some of the change and some of the chaos here in Washington over the past 24 hours. Secretary Mattis now retiring. Back over to you. A lot of job openings there in that administration mm. right now. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in, wow. in Washington. And you're saying that you think this underscores dissent in the administration? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, listen. What, what do you think he was going to say? No, no. I mean, I'm being oh. very sober about this. This is actually really troubling, right? H.R. McMaster left. We had all the generals are leaving. And the generals were nicknamed by the resistance as the Committee to Save America, right? These are the ones to keep this president from his worst inclinations. So we have a situation right here where, well, hold on. So by tweet, he just pulls out of Syria and he's being praised, uh, praised by Putin, but people of his own party are up in arms. And obviously Mattis is up in arms and he's leaving. Whenever he was going to leave, he just accelerated. I, 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 think, I think that the dynamic here um, with the Syria news over the last 24 hours is important to think about. Let's, let's be clear. Um, I also think it's very important from a market's perspective to think about where we were on the defense sector. So companies like LMT and, and, and General Dynamics and even Boeing were the favorite places to hang out. And unfortunately, um, I don't think this is supportive to companies that also, that's a case where I don't think those values Valuations are terribly cheap. So uh, I think this is more bad news for a sector that, frankly, used to be one of the favorites. All right. Let's get back to today's sell-off. A number of big tech names getting slammed, dragging the Nasdaq into a bear market for the first time since October 2011. Bob is down at the NYSE with what is behind this move. Hey, Bob. Hi, Melissa. You know, the Nasdaq 100 was the market leader going into the fourth quarter. It was up 20% for the year. That was a long time ago. Then it all went south right in the beginning of October after Fed Chair Jay Powell made the now infamous we're a long way from neutral comment. Remember that one? Not surprisingly, the biggest names have had some of the biggest falls. So Facebook actually hit its high in July. It's nearly 40% off its highs. Same with Alphabet, also topped out in July, 20% off its highs. But most of the big names topped out at the beginning of October. Apple top ticked at the top of October, now 32% off of its highs. Same with Amazon, 28% off its highs. Microsoft holding a better down, 12%. Now these five stocks alone, believe it or not, comprise 45% of the NASDAQ 100 market cap. They're the biggest names, but they're not the worst performers, believe it or not. Chip stocks are doing even worse. NVIDIA, for example, 54% off its highs. It's not a typo. 
Micron, 51%. Applied Materials, 50%. Lamb Research, 45%. Here's the most amazing number in all these stats. Despite all this carnage, the NASDAQ 100 is only down 2% for the year. It's amazing. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob, thank you very much. <laughs> well, forget about technology. Who needs technology, right? It's going to be a new year soon, 2019. Out with the old, in with the new. Mm. According to our next guest, he says there's another sector that could dethrone tech. Let's go off the charts with Mike, Mark Newton. I should say, of Newton Advisors over at the Plasma. How are you, Mark? Hey, Melissa. How are you? Thank you. So, you know, we continue to see this rotation out of technology. And every, the one question I get from everybody is, has tech bottomed? Everybody still has a, a fascination with stocks like Apple and Facebook and Google. These stocks are all down about 20%. If that tells you anything, it's likely the sector has not yet bottomed. And, and people are sick of seeing this holiday red on their screens day after day after day. But take a look at this. This is the Info Technology Index versus the S&P. If it shows you anything, it shows you this. We cracked nearly a three-year uptrend versus the S&P back in September. So we, we're starting to show more and more signs of rolling over. And if anything, you know, that tells you that even if we get a bounce, we really need to reclaim that to think the tech is going to make a big comeback. We're not really all that oversold either when you look on relative charts. So you look back in 2013, this was the area where tech was truly oversold when you can say, okay, you know, here's a time when you want to consider buying tech. Now we've just seen the break literally three months ago. So really on any bounce, technology would still be one that you would consider selling, not really thinking this is a sector you want to get into. What is looking good, however, is healthcare. Okay, healthcare has been one of the worst performing sectors in the last month. However, it's the second best performer all year. As you can see based on this chart, we saw a huge three-year breakout of healthcare versus the S&P, which happened back this past summer. So it got extended. It's pulling back. If anything, I think this represents a great buying opportunity to consider buying into healthcare on this pullback, thinking the sector is going to continue to uh, rally in the year ahead. If anything, my thinking is the Obamacare ruling likely is going to be overturned. The selling has gotten ahead of itself. So what groups to favor in healthcare? I think you have to look at the pharmaceutical space, particularly given the market volatility. Merck is one of my favorite stocks within this space. You see the stock broke out of this large base going back since the, the early 2000s. And here we are here. And it's pulled back a little bit. It gives investors, I think, a great chance to buy into this. You look at former highs that were made back in the late 90s. This hits right near $95. You're getting a chance to buy it now in the 70s, and my thinking is you're going to find support sometime in the next couple weeks as soon as this volatility starts to stabilize a little bit. But this would be really my pick uh, among stocks like Pfizer, Lilly, uh, Merck, Abbott Labs. They all offer a relative degree of safety and a bit more stability than what you're seeing in, uh, in technology uh, for sure. Final chart, we'll look at the S&P. So we've seen this break really in the last couple days, and, and unfortunately, you know, S&P has formed a pretty decent topping formation that started back in January. One thing I want to point out, everybody's <laughs> saying momentum is oversold, it's oversold. It has gotten oversold finally on a daily basis. However, on a weekly basis, we're not nearly at levels that we saw back in 2008, 2009. Uh, and on a monthly basis, S&P really got oversold, and we're nowhere near that also. So it's really only been on a daily basis that S&P has just gotten to oversold levels. We only see about 2% of all stocks above their 10-day moving average. My thinking is this decline can pull back right to near 2376. That's a 50% retracement of the entire move up since 2016. 
Uh, there are a couple of short-term cycles that suggest that the next couple of days could be important for a bounce. My thinking is now that we're past FOMC, sentiment's going to start to turn bearish a lot more quickly. People think there's absolutely no catalyst which can lift this market. So if anything, you want to look for a day like tomorrow on Quad Witch when you see heavy volume and see if we see more of that sign of capitulation. But I'm a buyer anywhere from 23.76 really up to 24.30 in S&P. From an investment standpoint, though, you almost need to see S&P get back over 2,600. So the bottom line is it's a tough market right now, and you really want to see more evidence of stability uh, you know, before you jump into uh, the market. All right, Mark, thank you so much, Mark Newton. Um, Pete Nigerian, I know you like some of these uh, pharma names. Yeah. Are you concerned about a divided Congress next year in this move by large drug companies to go ahead with price increases come January? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's so many different things that we can be concerned about about every part of the market right now. But I think the pharma names, to, to the point there, they seem to be holding up pretty well, whether it's Pfizer or Merck or some of these names. Lilly was another name that was brought up. I think when you look at the quad or the triple Qs, rather, Man, has there been a lot of put buying in there for quite a while. And that one is one where they've been very short term and they've even extended out, when I say that, two months out, out to February. So they aren't seeing, they being the huge buyers of downside, are not seeing an end to reiterate what was being set up there at the board in terms of the charts. They're saying they totally agree. They see a fall off. And that fall off is going to continue, maybe even to the low 150, where we are now, maybe into the 140s. The end of November, UNH gave this year's guidance. They reaffirmed basically, and they gave all guidance for 2019. So if you look at their earnings growth, they have definitely legit EPS growth given that guidance. But here's a stock that's gone down 18% in probably six or seven trading sessions. And it's, again, valuations. I know Dan might not agree with this, but it's valuations you probably haven't seen for quite some time. It's just been taken out to the woodshed. So this was a stock that if you're looking for an opportunity to name it, in my opinion, is as good as it gets. I think UNH gets really interesting. What we've been saying about healthcare at different times in the market over the last four or five years, especially when things have been challenging, either on, on top line growth, et cetera, is that healthcare has been very insulated, that these guys are probably going to grow EPS as a sector somewhere north of 20%. And I think that's somewhat um, counter-cyclical, or certainly acyclical to where we are in the market overall. But I agree with, with Guy, and, and I think Dan would agree with this. The problem right. here is that UNH was one of those leaders that's agree. now fallen. You should, because this is your statement. Um, basically, leadership that's been lost uh, in, in a sector that actually had been very defensive, and that should be a concern. I'm not sure I want to jump into healthcare here. I just want to talk about SPY real quickly. He talked yeah, about the S&P sure. 500. I think that last year we knew that we had this very low volatility period. The lo- largest peak to trough decline was 3%. The S&P 500 closed up 20%. That was the Trump bump, okay, in anticipation of deregulation and tax cuts, that sort of thing. This year has been the Trump dump, and I think it continues into next year, and I think like all things of his agenda that are going to be repudiated, I think the stock market gains are going away next year. I think we're in a round trip back to 2200 in the S&P 500. I just do. I think it's happening in the charts. I think all these rallies need you, to be But sold. you've been thinking this, you've been thinking this for two years, right? I mean, no, haven't no, you? Not really. I mean, not really. Well, I, I just, to, to just say that now it's all coming down hard. You're basically. I well, mean, what did we have in 2017, Tim? We had global synchronized recovery. We had that growth coming. We had deregulation. There was a lot of things that people were looking forward to. Do all you write off 2019 in the markets? Are you no. writing the, off? The assumption that it's all going to come tumbling down in terms of all the both the okay, regulatory so changes and environment. I'm just telling you that right, everything that I see, up. I that's cannot think screen. of a single catalyst for the markets next year. Where is it coming from? I, I just don't understand what it is. If it's only valuation, that's not enough people. It's just not enough. 
You know, the interesting thing will be if there's anything that we can get done in terms of the trade wars, I think then you're wrong. But up to that point, I think, yes, How there's going to be How much damage is done by the time that happens? That can recover big time, though. You know that as well as I do. That could be something so you can turn it very going? rapidly. Where's it going? We have to go to break, guys. Got to pay the bills. Go ahead. Check out shares of Nike soaring after hours. It's up about 7%. The conference call underway right now. We'll tell you what as investors are so excited about this quarter. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got some more details on the resignation of General Mattis. Let's get to Eamon Javers in D.C. Eamon. Melissa, that's right. We've now got a resignation letter here from General Mattis, the defense secretary, who says he'll be leaving his office in February. This is the letter that he sent to the president of the United States, and it is going to be parsed very, very carefully for signs that the this defense secretary is leaving uh, under a cloud here, leaving uh, apparently because of strong disagreements with the president of the United States on fundamental and core issues in America's place in the world. The defense secretary writes, uh, one core belief I've always had is that our strength as a nation is inextricably linked to the strength of our unique and comprehensive system of alliances and partnerships. While the U.S. remains the indispensable nation in the free world, we cannot protect our interests or serve that role effectively without maintaining strong alliances and showing respect to those allies. He also says, similarly, I believe we must be resolute and unambiguous in our approach to those countries whose strategic interests are increasingly in tension with ours. He cites China and Russia as key examples there, uh, the defense secretary writing, my views on treating allies with respect and also being clear-eyed about both malign actors and strategic competitors are strongly held and informed by over four decades of immersion in these issues. The defense secretary goes on to say, because you have the right to have a secretary of defense whose views are better aligned with yours on these and other subjects, I believe it is right for me to step down from my position. The end date for my tenure is February 28th. 2019. So the defense secretary there saying that uh, his core values involve being forthright with our allies, treating them with respect, and also uh, being clear-eyed about the menaces to the United States around the world, particularly China and Russia, and saying that his views, in essence, are not compatible with those of the president of the United States on those issues, and therefore he is stepping down. So the president's tweet earlier uh, suggested that Mattis would simply be retiring, but this resignation letter from the defense secretary indicates that he had core and fundamental disagreements with the president of the United States on key issues uh, involving the United States' place uh, in the world, Melissa. Eamon, there are a lot of vacancies, or there will be a lot of vacancies, it seems, um, in the administration. Is this typical at the two-year mark of an administration to see this sort of um, turnover, or is this atypical? It's it's. We, we've seen atypical turnover in the Trump administration generally. It's typical at the two-year mark uh, that some people would leave after the midterms. That's not surprising. What is surprising here is that a defense secretary would send a resignation letter which indicates that he disagrees fundamentally with the president of the United States on issues like Russia, China, and U.S. alliances around the world. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Jabbers at the White House for us. Well, I think we, you know, this makes sense. And again, Syria's a big deal. Like we, we threw Putin two Christmas presents in Syria and Rusal, and I, I could see why that was an issue. Still ahead, Nike soaring after big earnings beat. That stock has been on fire all year. We'll tell you how much higher it could go. Plus, Christmas came early for crypto investors as Bitcoin soars 
20% this week. And the Coinbase president says key developments made this year could send the space booming in 2019. He'll be here to explain when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. As you know, the Santa rally never came for the markets, but you know who did make Santa's nice list this year? Bitcoin, if you can believe it. In the last week, the cryptocurrency surged about $1,000, a rally that has sent the coin back over 4000 Of course, this is after it has been through a terrible year. Bitcoin is down a whopping 80% from its highs a year ago. For more, let's bring in a man who's been at the center of the crypto craze. Asif Hirji, he's the president of Coinbase, the world's largest crypto exchange. Asif, great to see you. Melissa and Dan, good to see you too. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure when the last time we spoke was, if it was Bitcoin 15K or Bitcoin 14K. <laughs> I think it was a lot higher, yeah. though. Um, what, makes you, what makes you think that, that this is the start of a, of a move higher that we'll see continue in 2019 when 2018 was so terrible after all the prognostications uh, that it would be a terrific year? Yeah, look, if you remember about this time last year when, when, when Bitcoin was up in, you know, near 20,000, we had put out something at that time saying, hey, you know, sometimes things can get out ahead of fundamentals, effectively reminding people to, to really take a hard look and see if this is really right for them or not and asking them to be careful. Um, and and we, got, we got a lot of negative press for doing that, but you'll recall we did that. And I think it's, it's the old adage of things are, never, things are never as good as they seem, neither are they ever as bad as they seem. And to, and to quote Buffett, you know, be, be greedy when others are fearful and be fearful when others are greedy. So I think that it's not surprising to me that we've, we've had a bit of a bounce back. I think the amount of innovation that's happened in cryptocurrency over the last year has exceeded everything in all the years before it. And if you just look at the number of engineers who are going to cryptocurrencies and the number of, and the num- and the number of actual projects that are being launched, mm-hmm. we've never had as much innovation as, we've ha- as we have today. How has uh, the decline in Bitcoin changed your business, if at all, Asif? And, and I'm asking because uh, the platform has listed many, many more coins which uh, people can trade, yep. which people can invest in. And when I first heard that announcement, and this happened you know, at a time when, when Bitcoin is, I think, somewhere in the 3,000s or 4,000s or whatnot, I thought immediately, I wonder, volume is drying up, and they're just trying to juice the volume numbers by offering more products right. to trade. Yeah, look, I, I can see why people might think that. I think the reality is that you know, three or four years ago, the, Bitcoin was the only thing that mattered in cryptocurrency. Then Ethereum came along, and now you, we're at a point where there's probably three to 4,000 cryptocurrencies that are out there. You know, there are probably 200 or so that matter. And, and you should assume that we will, over the course of time, add all the cryptocurrencies that matter in as many geographies as we're allowed to add them. You know, this is, this is the start. I think of the next great wave of innovation in technology, and, and you should see you would, you should expect to see more and more cryptocurrencies over time. So, so Asif, uh, it's Dan. How are you? Uh, last year, you know, obviously, the just the the price momentum was driven by retail traders for all intents and purposes. You guys have spent a good part yep. of 2018 building out this suite of institutional, you know, grade um, things like custody and that sort of thing. Are you seeing yep. uptake of of your custody product, and do you see that as a huge catalyst as you go into the next stage of whatever that is for? cryptocurrencies is the stage set, I guess, for institutional investment? Yeah, I, uh, great, great question. I think the, you know, institutions need, uh, they, 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 need a, they need a valid venue to trade on. They need, a, they need a qualified custodian to store with, and they want to make sure that, that, the, that, that there's actual liquidity, right? So, you know, we've built a lot of liquidity. We, we have the, the best, most regulated, most compliant venue on, on the planet, 
and we have the only qualified custodian solution in the space. And so we think we've laid a lot of the infrastructure to allow institutions to, to, to start to invest in cryptocurrencies. We also, our market data underpins many of the derivative products that are out there, <clears throat> and we think having a healthy derivative market is essential to, to, to the, to the, to the uh, formation of a healthy crypto market. And so we've done, we've, we, we think we've done a lot. We've, we've actually had hundreds of institutions on board onto our custodian, you know, we've blown by the the internal goals we set for that for that business. Mm -hmm. um, just 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 today, we were having a review of that business. So we feel very good about where we are with that business, and we think 2019 will continue to be a good year for with the institutions who are going to crypto. Going back, though, as of to my question about volumes, and I don't want to beat a dead horse, yep. but yeah, uh, I think people are wondering what you're seeing. I mean, futures volumes have really dried up as Bitcoin went down sure. to 3,000, 4,000, et cetera. What are you seeing in terms of volumes? And I ask this in the context of your valuation and a potential IPO. Are you valued lower today versus when Bitcoin right. was at 20,000 or close to 20,000? Okay. Yeah. So you, you will you would know that we, we did a round uh, earlier this year where we were valued at 8, 8, 8 billion um, I think you know we we looked at where the market was. We looked at where we were, and we had a number of we had a number of institutions come and and, and proactively want to invest in us. We we basically took money for a rainy day. None of those investors were betting on the price of, of the asset today, tomorrow, or even a year from now. Like if, if that's if that's your time horizon, you shouldn't be as an institutional investor. You shouldn't be you shouldn't be touching this, right? But if you have a long term constructive view of where crypto is going. We are the best leveraged bet on crypto that you can find, and so that's why a great institution like Tiger led the round, and we had great, you know, we had great people following that round. So, so we're very happy with the with with the way we did the round and who came in. I think in terms of our valuation, our our revenue is directly tied to the amount of trading volume, and the trading volume right. is is a lot lower today than it was a year ago. And so, yes, our revenues are down, just like everybody else's in the space. IPO. The, the, Asif, I'm sorry, we're <laughs> running out of time. <laughs> let's get. Let's IPO. It's not, it's not, it's, we have a long way to go before okay. we're doing an IPO. There's so many things that we're doing as a business, and we're just focused on building a great business. Got it. Asif, great to speak with you. Thank you. Happy New Year. Asif Hirji, Thanks, the president of Coinbase. Still ahead, Nike soaring after a huge earnings beat. We'll hear from the company's CEO right after this break. We have an earnings alert on Nike soaring in the after hours. Sarah Eisen's at the NYSE with more. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Melissa, Nike giving a pretty bullish forecast on what was a very strong quarter, expecting the growth to continue. The CFO just citing high single-digit to low double-digit growth for earnings into 2019, continued margin expansion. Obviously, the strong dollar does chip away at some of that. Says that they even have visibility, though, into 2020. And what they see are, is strong demand. They call this sustainability in our growth going forward. And they said it looks stronger than they previously expected for the year. Why? Well, the Nike executives, including CEO Mark Parker, talking a lot about the growth initiatives on the call. Women's, digital, apparel, and a turnaround in the Jordan brand. Listen. With the Jordan brand, we're seeing positive results from the strategic shifts that we're making. In Q2, Jordan grew double digits, and we've returned to healthy, sustainable growth in North America. At the same time, we've continued our pace of double-digit growth internationally. We're making great progress in diversifying Jordan. And Melissa, an added bonus, international strong. CFO just said he sees no impact on the business 
of a result as a result of the U.S. China trade friction and tensions in that relationship after 27 percent growth quarter in greater China. Back wow. to you. Sarah, and just quickly, because we're almost out of time here, when you say visibility <laughs> into fiscal year 2020, they have a different, yeah. it's not a calendar year, correct? So that's, that's going into correct. what time frame? Correct. So, so they're on a little bit of a different um, calendar here. They're making projections for 2019 and fiscal year 2020. And all we got here is we're beginning to see insight there and we are seeing strong demand. So nothing specific okay. uh, on the guidance there. But I think they're putting in place so many structural changes and have such a strong innovation pipeline that that's, that's sort of anecdotally what he was speaking to. All right, Sarah, thank you. Sarah Eisen at the thank NYSE. You. Tim, you hold Nike. Yeah, I think it's a great company. I think it bounced off of that key 65 level. Remember, China revenues were up almost 25% in the quarter, so they came in in line slightly better than expected. That's a different tale than what other people are saying. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Pete. I love seeing some option paper today. Short-term Microsoft, love it for a nice bounce in a week. Tim. Check out Altria making acquisitions in e-cigs and cannabis. Check those guys out. Yeah. Yeah, Nike, I wouldn't chase it here. Two-thirds of their sales outside of North America. I don't get that guidance. Hey. Who do you like Thursday Night Football tonight, Mel? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, you don't know. Who's not playing is a trick question. That's right. Put Locker on on the back of Nike. What? (laughs) That's a special for us. See you back here tomorrow. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts now. Not fair. Not fair at all. Not fair. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.